welcome welcome all to k-drama school hello so good to be here folks i need to plug my book again k-drama school a pop culture inquiry into why we love korean television you can go and pre-order this book now it drops on april 23rd 2024 in the spring of this year but before then you can get it for 20 percent off on the hachettebookgroup.com website you can find that link on my website gracejungcomedy.com or kdramaschool.com and you can use the promo code kdrama20 at checkout and this applies only for hardcover copies and i spent this past week recording about nine hours of my audiobook yeah the audiobook kdrama school <laughs> a pop culture inquiry into why we love korean television you can also get this as an audiobook yes you can um, the only downside to getting the audiobook, though, is that it's not a hardcover copy, so you won't be able to get me to sign it for you. And the other downside is that you won't get to see all the cute and hilarious emojis that I use throughout the text. Um, but the audiobook is very good because it is read by yours truly, and I spent so much of my time and energy on that. Yeah, it is not easy. Reading or recording an audiobook is not easy. Oh my goodness, it takes everything out of a person. It is very physically taxing, mentally taxing, emotionally grueling, and man, like, honestly, I, I binge ate a lot of sugar, a lot of pizza, a lot of ice cream, and it's to the point where, like, my skin is now affected by it, yeah. Like whenever um, I eat a lot of junk food, like my skin on my chest starts to erupt in um, hives. So I know that I need to cut it out. Like, you know, I bought some celery the other day, I'm starting to juice, but what's the point of juicing in the morning when I start eating ice cream and chocolate at night, you know? So yeah, it, it's very stressful. I feel it all over my body, but this is what I do for you. I do it for you. I do it for the love of the craft and I do it for the love of my fans. I do it for the love of my listeners. I do it for the people who appreciate good art, good writing, good reading, good catharsis. Yes, that's why I do it. So I do it for the love, okay? But at the same time, I will acknowledge that, you know, it does, it does, it does, um, you know, take a toll on my body. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's why I think actors and performers get paid so much because man, like, my mood was crazy this past week. My mood was crazy, my appetite was crazy, my hormones were crazy. I was all kinds of out of whack all week, but I'm, I'm getting better now, I am. Some of the fun things that I did while recording my audiobook is um, like outside of the audio um, book recording studio, I saw this dude, like a really tall, dark, handsome guy, like really sexy. And he was like fixing his motorcycles. He had these two vintage motorbikes and he would just be like fixing them outside in the sun. The weather was beautiful all week. And he was just like fixing these motorcycles, which was like, you know, already gorgeous. But then on top of that, there was this really beautiful, cute, handsome bulldog sitting next to him, you know, soaking in the sun, just so chill. And uh, that bulldog's name, is Wyatt. 
which is an amazing name for a bulldog. This 14 year old bulldog was just like hanging out in the sun. And man, it was just like awesome seeing these, these dudes, this Wyatt the bulldog and this tall, dark, handsome dude named, I'm not gonna name him, but man, he was fine as hell. And yeah, so I would like chat him up, you know, we would talk about industry stuff. He works in the industry. He works as like a prop designer or something. And, you know, he was talking about how like IATSE is about to go on strike again. And he was saying that he doesn't quite have faith in his union. And I was like, okay, that's, that's valid. You know, like a union exists to protect us, but a lot of the times the union also screws us. So like people are stuck in the middle a lot of the times with these unions. You know, like I have a fantasy of starting my own union um, for like adjunct workers or even like a union for like my current job, you know, like I like my current job, actually. I, I quite love it. Um, but like we get 30 minute lunch breaks, you know, I wish it was an hour or at least 45 minutes, you know, and I wish like we would get commission for our work because we put in a lot of effort and the sales go up and it's like, oh, I feel like we deserve a commission, right? So like things like that, you know, like I have this fantasy of unionizing because, you know, I'm a fucking anarchist and I'll do anything to take down the, you know, I'll do anything to take down the man. Yeah. But um, that's just a fantasy for now. I also have a like a union fantasy for like adjuncts, you know, college professors who are adjuncts. I'm not sure if there is a country-wide adjunct union but if there was one it would be very very powerful because if every single college like every single university um just decided to like if all the adjuncts at every single university in north america just decided to walk out for even one day dude like it would be a mess seriously it would be a fucking like meltdown in the educational system. So like, that's a fantasy I have, for real. Um, but I don't, I don't teach in colleges. Like, and the reason why is because adjuncts are exploited so much. So I just choose not to put myself in that situation. But the downside is I go work a job that pays minimum wage and doesn't offer commission. But it does happen to be a job I really love. So like, you know, there are all these like, things to negotiate, right? Um, and you know what? Like, there are moments throughout the day while I'm working on my job, you know, because it's very like physically taxing. Like I have to talk a lot. I have to like move around a lot. And it's like very physically taxing. And I do that for seven hours. So it's a lot. But like the, um, the upside to all of it is Every time I go and work that job, I ask myself, is this my real job? Like, is this my actual work? Am I actually working right now? No, like I think of it more as when I'm doing that kind of work, I'm sort of like building endurance so that I could be on a set, which does go on for like seven to 10 hours or 12 hours, it goes on forever. So I'm building endurance in that regard and I write every single day, you know, like I wake up at six in the morning and then I'll do a little bit of writing. Like right now I'm working on a new screenplay. This is my second screenplay this year, which I'm proud of. Like it's February and I'm already working on my second screenplay. Like that's big for me. I, I'm like very proud of that. And I work like in the morning, 
not long, maybe like 15, 20 minutes, but I'll sit down and I'll write. I'll write one scene and then I'll exercise. I'll eat a good breakfast. I'll meditate. I'll do yoga. And then I go to work, you know? So I, I commit to who and what I am, like what my real job is, like mentally, you know? Because it's just about like swapping perspectives. If I actually thought of myself, like the work that I'm currently doing, if I thought of that as my real job, I would want to blow my brains out, you know? Because like when I'm driving home after dealing with seven to 800 people, which is like what I do, I lose myself <laughs> in the thick of that. And um, yeah, when I'm driving home, oh, it gets dark. It gets dark up here. You know, that's why I like to give myself a good morning. So for those of you who like work other jobs while, you know, also building your career or having a career or living a career that is in the arts, um, just swap your perspective like that. It's just a matter of like flicking on a different lens. Yeah. When I was reading my audiobook, I realized that I can't speak English well. That's what I learned about myself. Like, I don't know how to read English very well. I, I came to learn that this whole time I have been mispronouncing the word awry. Like I've been saying Ari this whole time. <laughs> Things have been going Ari. That's what I've been saying this whole time. <laughs> when it's been awry. And awry is a word that I know. I just thought it was spelled differently. Oh my goodness. You know, it, it's, it's fucked up. Like I would write these words down knowing what they mean and then I would read them aloud incorrectly, like mispronouncing them, you know, because the English language is tricky. Like A-W-R-Y could be read as Ari. It can also be read as Ori. It's like the word hegemony. It could be read as hegemony or hegemony. You know what I'm saying? English is a tricky fucking language because it's one of these languages that has a billion exceptions to these rules, you know? And and it's, um, it's a tricky language in, in that regard. So I learned that I can't speak English <laughs> while reading this audiobook. Um, the word diminutive, diminutive. I've been mispronouncing this word. Like I'm mispronouncing it right now, diminutive. It's not diminutive, it's Dim diminutive diminutive is how to pronounce that fucking word and this whole time i've been pronouncing it diminutive and nobody's fucking corrected me nobody oh you know it was like it was embarrassing listening to my director like correct me and tell me to redo that it was fucking humiliating i couldn't say it she was like it's diminutive i'm like diminutive she's like no no it's diminutive i'll be like diminutive <laughs> Couldn't say it. <laughs> um, there's a French word I couldn't say. Ouvre, ouvre. You know, it's pronounced ouvre, and I kept saying ouvre. She was like, "Can you just add the re? Like, can you just say ouvre?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> like, I don't want to." I'm like, you know, I, I was being difficult at times. I was like not cooperating. And the other thing, like while reading my audiobook, oh, here's the upside to getting the audiobook. When you get the audiobook, you are going to get a more accurate text because when I was reading the audiobook, when I was reading it aloud, I saw about five typos, like five or six. And yeah, like 
you know, it, it's like I had a copy editor, I had an editor, and I, I myself was editing, but the copy editor and the editor are more or less useless. Yeah, they don't really do much. Um, I was doing most of the editing and, and it's because the copy editor and the editor, they just don't care. They don't, they're not as invested in the text as I am. And my editor changed like three fucking times. So um, yeah, like my, my uh, book will have a few typos. It's not a lot and it's not like glaring. It's not gonna make or break the book, but there are about a handful, a handful of typos. And those were corrected in the audiobook. So there you go. You, that's the upside to the audiobook. Um, but Lord have mercy. I, I feel like I need to take ESL classes again. That's what I learned about myself. Uh, and and for, the, for those of you who don't know, for the record, um, English is my second language. So I technically am an ESL uh, graduate, former ESL student. So like considering that, I feel like um, I get a pass for reading words like Ari. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Or diminutive when it's diminutive. Oh my gosh, it's like so fucking crazy. Um, I couldn't say frat, fraternizing. Frater fraternizing. <laughs> I couldn't say that. I had to do a few takes of that. My show of the week, The Bequeathed. The Bequeathed. That's a very tricky word to say, all right? Like, here's the thing about Korean. In Korean, there are some words that are very difficult to pronounce. But what Koreans will do is they'll add an extra, like, it's called a pachim. Like um like a shiwot, like an S sound or like a D sound. They'll add something so it makes the pronunciation smoother, you know? Like so the Korean language, Hangul, is um accommodating to the tongue. But English, again, it's fucking crazy, you know? The the bequeathed. That's fucking hard to say, you know? Um, so The Bequeathed, that is the show I'll be discussing today. It is a 2024 K-drama. It dropped January of this year, so it came out last month. And it is uh, created by Yeon Sang-ho. Yeah, Yeon Sang-ho. He's the dude who um, wrote and directed that film, Train to Busan. And man, Yeon Sang-ho is like the most prolific Korean filmmaker and showrunner um, that is currently working. You know, like he has like two or three Netflix shows. Yeah, he has Hellbound. He has this. I think he has a fucking other one, right? All right, so he has all these shows. And then he's like done a movie like every single year. So he's done The King of Pigs in 2011, The Fake in 2013, The Master and Man and The Satellite Girl and Milk Cow in 2014. But that he was working as an actor. So he's an actor too, my gosh. And then he did like four movies in 2016, and then he did one movie in 2018, another movie in 2019, another movie in 2020, another movie in 2021, and then another movie last year. This dude does not sleep. Like he's a workaholic. Like somebody check in on Yeon Sang-ho because like homeboy is like very, very busy, very busy. And he's talented, very, very talented fella. So this show, The Bequeathed, it is based on a webtoon. It's based on a web series. And uh, it was adapted for the screen and it, it's good. I think it's a good show. It's, uh, how would I put it? I would call this a noir. Yeah, this is definitely a noir. 
Um, the reason why I call it a noir is because, well, I mean, it's cynical as hell. It's very cynical. Tonally, all right, color, aesthetic, affect-wise, all of that, very dark. Leans on the darker end. Um, also, this is just... This is just me. Like, I'm not saying that this is how it always is, but this is just me, okay? So, um, in, in noirs, like film noir, for instance, right? Like, let's say like Chinatown. Chinatown, film noir. Uh, what makes it a noir? Hmm? Like, what makes a film noir a noir? Cynicism tends to be a big one. Like, very, very cynical. Um, and then like when I was at UCLA, I was, I took this film development course with like these production MFA people. So they're producer MFAs. They're getting an MFA at, uh, like as a producer, which I think is crazy, but that's what they were doing. So I'm in this class with all these like producer MFAs and they are all like, all they do is give notes, quote unquote notes, right? <laughs> which means just change the script, you know? And when I was taking that class, I learned a bunch of things. Number one, um, producers are always under the pressure to give notes regardless of whether or not a, a script needs a note. Like they just have to. And and I feel like that is shitty. I feel like that's a shitty fucking um, way to train somebody, but that's how it goes, right? And one of the notes that this one producer kid kept saying was, uh, we're working on a film noir script and it has to have incest. He was like insisting on it. He's like, it has to have incest. Somehow it's gotta have incest. And I was like, what are you, a perf? Like, why? And he's like, because Chinatown has incest. For those of you who have not seen Chinatown, <laughs> spoiler alert, okay? This fucking movie, this Polanski film with fucking Jack Nicholson, all right? It has incest, okay? <laughs> um, but this kid, he kept saying it needs incest, it needs incest. So like we ended up adding incest and he was happy with it. Uh, yeah, da, da. So in my brain now, I feel like noir also includes incest. Why incest? There's something very like sinister and cynical and tragic about it. Okay. Now, how does this show, The Bequeathed, how does this show handle incest? Oh, and yeah, spoiler alert, I mean, fucking all of you, every single episode, every single show I talk about on this podcast, you're gonna get spoilers. So if you haven't seen The Bequeathed, um, yeah, spoiler alert, there's fucking incest in it. Now, the way that this show handles incest, I felt like was very interesting. Um, so Kim Hyunju, Kim Hyunju is a frequent collaborator with Yeon Sang-woo, it seems like. She did his movie Chungi, and um, yeah, she's just like, she's always with him. The other guy that's frequently collaborating with uh, Yeon Sang-woo is Ryu Kyung-su. Ryu Kyung-su, we saw in Itaewon class, but he's in like all of Yeon Sang-woo's other, other works, so he seems like a Freak, like a common, frequent collaborator with him. So anyway, um, so Kim Hyun-ju's character, she is a niece of this man who died and uh, she didn't know that she had this uncle, this paternal uncle, but turns out she does and she inherits some land and she needs to figure out like how she's going to profit off of this. But turns out like her cousin, Turns out these siblings um, gave birth to this boy, this cousin of Kim Hyun-ju's character. And uh, yeah, that's the fucked up crazy part. Now, when 
Oh, and spoiler alert again, <laughs> she dies. Okay. <laughs> the, the auntie slash mother. Yeah, she dies. Um, it's like a suicide thing. She kills herself. And then somebody asks her, which is like, you know, it's like, why would they ask that? I feel like nobody would ever ask this. Um, but this is the part that made the scenario like interesting for me. I was like, oh, this is kind of tastefully done. When they're burying these two ashes, the guy asks, like one of the, the burial men asks Kim Hyunju's character, uh, Soha, asks her, what was, what was the relationship between those, these two people? And she takes a pause and then she says, their family. Mm, that's how she puts it. And I was like, wow, what a clever way to put that. Because when she said they're a family, I just thought, oh, like family can mean anything. You know, it could mean anything. Like, yes, yeah, siblings are a family, but also like husband and wife is a family, you know, like father and son, you know. Um, and like what what is it about like that vague and yet clever answer? Like, what does that do to the text? Suddenly the text became very profound for me because like, what is the point of including incest in a storyline? Like, what is the point? It, it's so taboo in our socio-cultural realm. Um, in, in like pretty much all modern societies, we consider incest taboo. And then, to include it in a contemporary TV show. Um, like, what is the point of doing that? And I was just thinking like, oh, it's not the incest that is um, supposed to grab our attention. I mean, it's an attention grabber, but it's not the incest part that we're supposed to focus on. What does the incest part, um, what is it metaphoric of, right? Or what, it, what does it allegorize? And then think about family. Yeah, think about how every single person who has a family, they have secrets, they have shames, they have guilt, they have skeletons in the closet. There is always something in every single family that one thing that people don't want to talk about or that one person people don't want to talk about. Some shit that went down that people do not want to look at, the whole family can't look at, there's always that. Yes. And in this instance, haha, she's able to look at it. I mean, she's forced to reckon with it. Forced to reckon with it. She is forced to get to the bottom of it and and see the truth. And so, I was like, "Man, that ending so tastefully done." So, I was like, "Bravo. Super impressed with this show." It's directed by somebody besides Yeon Sang-woo. It's directed by Min Hong-nam. I felt like this was a very well-directed series. I thought it was very well-written. Um, Performance-wise, I thought it was excellent. And uh, yeah, like I love Kim Hyun-ju. She's been acting forever, forever. She's been doing so much TV work since she was very, very young. And now she's like almost 50 and she's still kicking ass. And I'm, I'm happy to see her doing more dark stuff, to be honest with you. Because back in the day, she used to do like these cheesy-ass melodramas. <laughs> And she was quite good at them. She was very, very good at them. She did a melodrama with Cha Taehyun, okay? She did a melodrama with like, Sojisup. 
she was the queen back then and now she's doing noir and it suits her i dig it i dig it oh and the other thing i appreciated about this show so much is how they um presented this like parasitic like disgusting you know jerking off other tenured professors to get a tenured track job like that kind of shit you know that goes on in the ivory tower because she's a professor like she has a phd and she wants to get a professor position and she can't and that drives her crazy so i appreciated that part and i think my favorite character on this series was um uh soha's husband played by Park Sung-un. he is so funny like, I, I remember seeing him in The Glory. He's the uncle dad dude. The one that's like screaming all the time. Oh my god. Like, this guy? <laughs> he's so funny. So full of rage. Like, every single role. He's such a dick. Like, such an asshole. And he plays it so well. And he cracks me the fuck up. And he's gonna be in Squid Game Season 2. So, like, thank god. Like, seriously, god bless this dude. He's done so many Netflix series now that I think about it. He did The Glory, Glory Part 2. He did The Bequeathed. And he's doing, you know, Ojingo Game Season 2. So this guy, like, he's kicking ass. I <laughs> love this dude. And I haven't seen him, like, until The Glory, I feel like. Or maybe I've seen him, like, play, you know, bit roles or supporting roles in other shows. But man, Pak sung you have my love, dude. You're hilarious. <laughs> So yeah, I think this show is worth checking out just to see Pak Sung-un scream and like act hysterical. 